0: Okay, everybody have a program now. All right. Rich, you you could make a killing if you had peanuts and cracker jacks.
1: Oh. You know. (laughs) Popcorn, get your popcorn here. Ice cream. I think
0: he's done that before. That was pretty good. All right, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints uh, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. And we've kind of parked at those uh, terms, overseers and deacons, to make sure we all know what those mean. Um, uh, most churches have a little bit of a unique uh, form of government, Um I'd, I'd say our, our church is probably, in terms of denomination, probably closest to like a Presbyterian model. Um, but uh, what we want to do is just kind of talk about uh, what do those terms mean and, and how does that play into how the church is governed. And again, for probably most of you, if you unless you've studied these things, um, you may not know the church government structure we have here or why we do what we do. And uh, so this gives us an opportunity to talk about a New Testament church government. And uh, this thing will wake up and get going here. Uh, By way of review, for those of you that may not have been here last time, uh, the word overseer is the word episkopos. Um, The word basically means someone who gives oversight, supervision, or guardianship. Uh, And it's used in Scripture for an office of leadership in the church. Uh, In some of your Bible translations, you will see it translated bishop. Uh, The New Testament uses two other words which describe the same office, the word elder and the word pastor. uh, In Greek, presbuteros and poimen. Uh, Presbuteros means an older, more mature person. And while it can be used in the general sense, it does have a technical usage which refers to the same leadership office described as episkopos. And last time... Uh, we looked at a number of texts that seem to equate those terms, that uh, though they describe different functions of the same office, they do indeed describe the same office, the same group of men that are called to minister and leadership in the church. And then um, probably the word that, that we're most familiar with is the word pastor or shepherd. Uh, it can be used literally to describe those who actually care for sheep or it can be used figuratively for those who care for And provide for people in some way, and and that was um, one of the favorite New Testament uh, pictures when describing uh, leadership of the church, and it was one of the pictures that Jesus used when he talked about his role as our Savior. Um, We uh, talked about how those three terms refer to the same office because of how they're used in various scriptures uh, as synonyms. We talked about that last time, and um, here's the picture, and I put it in your notes because I love you guys. So you have that there. Um, The different words. Uh, Elder really emphasizes the maturity of the man. Overseer really describes what he does. He gives oversight. And shepherd describes how he does it. He does it in a caring way, character function, and disposition or manner, something along those lines. Okay. Any questions on that? Okay, and where we left off was kind of talking about... uh, what elders do, and why do we have elders who are financially supported by the church, which those, and then we have those that don't. So, uh, let's uh, look together here. Oh, there's Greg. I forgot about Greg. Yeah, he's right there. All right, one of our elders there. Now, um, what do elders do? Uh, grab your Bible and turn to First Timothy chapter three. Let's just look at some of the functions and roles of the elders, so we get an idea of what these guys do or are supposed to be doing. Um, I was thinking this week, um, it, there's probably not a week that goes by that I don't get an email or something in the mail or, uh, you know, a blog post or something like that where um, there's this new cool way of doing church, right, and... and um, and while we always want to be looking for ways to be creative in what we do, and while we always want to make sure we're doing it in the best way, uh, the New Testament doesn't seem to be interested in finding new and creative ways of doing church. So so we tend to ignore and throw away those emails and and um, uh, liter- literature like that. But one of the things that comes with new ways of doing the church are new models of ministry. You understand that. If, if, if Church A says, we're primarily about... Attracting people. We're gonna we're gonna do these uh, we're gonna make it like a rock concert and we're gonna have all these uh, entertaining type ministries designed to just tickle the ears of people so that they'll gather within our walls. What happens to the leadership if that becomes the main uh, reason for the church existing? What happens to the leadership in that model? Yeah, Richard. They become the focus. Well, they may very well become the focus, okay. That, that and Okay, and some of them want to be the focus. That's true. Um, whenever you change what's the, what the church does, what happens with the leadership? I know it's cold. I know it's Sunday morning. It
1: suffers.
0: Okay, it suffers. It suffers because if we're diverting from that, leadership is going to be less than what the Bible calls it to be.
1: Yeah? It lose control.
0: Okay, maybe they lose control. Very good. Um, but the point is, if you're going to change the what the church does, you have to change what the leadership does. So, for example, if, if Scripture calls the elders and pastors, leaders of the church, to shepherd the flock of God, to teach and to train, to, to build up and equip the body so they can use their gifts to serve one another and minister to one another. If that's what the New Testament says, if we're going to dump that and say the church is primarily about Entertaining people and getting them to come within the walls, then the leadership cease to be pastors and elders, and they become people that learn how to entertain. Does that make sense? They, they learn how to how to um, I don't know. Yeah, coordinate. They're, they're entertainment coordinators, is what they are. Or or if if the if the model of church is. Um, I don't know, to have the best band in town, then they're being, they're going to become musician overseers. That's the point. Whenever you change what the church primarily does, the leadership has to change to accommodate that. Do you agree with that? And that's, again, why this is so important to study, because we can study what the leadership of the church is supposed to do, and that gives us further insight about what the church is supposed to be about. And vice versa. If we start messing with the church, the message of the church, the function of the church if we start redesigning church to to this new cool thing to do or this new way of doing it, chances are the leadership there is not going to be functioning the way the Bible calls leadership of the local church to function. So all that to say, in my opinion at least, it is very hard to find churches that have men that are doing this. Because most churches are not doing what the Bible says churches should be doing. And the end result is you, you lack biblical leadership. Um, frankly, to, to get a group of men uh, in leadership that are humble men, that, that look to their great shepherd, and as under-shepherds they say, how can we be more like Christ in this church? How can we feed the people, nourish the people, help them? How can we assist them? How can we encourage them? How can we train them so that they grow and they can use their gifts to help one another? That, that's a very rare church situation unfortunately. Um, and that's, again, why it's good to study these things. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, we find that elders are called to take care of the church of God. This is in that description of qualifications that we looked at last time, and we'll look at it in more depth today. In uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, it says, He must be one who manages his own household well. Talking about qualifications for elders. being uh, Keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then it gives this this little... Uh, parenthetical uh, uh, thought here. It says, If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? You hear that there? So one of the things that elders, that pastors do is they take care of the church of God. They, they manage, if you will, the church, sort of the way a, a man would, would oversee and, and manage his own household. If you just look down the page at verse 17, we find out, secondly, that they have charge over the church. I'm sorry, that's chapter 5, verse 17. Yeah, just uh, maybe another page or two. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And that's going to spill over into our discussion today about our um, elders financially compensated or not by the church. This is one of the texts that indicates that, um, that they, they at least um, have that privilege should they choose to, to use it. But notice the verb here, the elders who rule well, they they have charge over the church. Um, And again, don't, don't hear that in a dictatorial sense. We hear ruling, we think some monarch, some king who just rules with an iron fist. And yet we just saw that one of the main New Testament words for the leadership of the church is what? It's shepherd, right, which emphasizes the caring role. So when you hear... They have charge over the church. They rule over, don't abandon the way that a shepherd leads and rules over the sheep. And, and that, that picture is designed to help leaders to understand that it's not a dictatorial way of doing things. They lead through their example and they, re, they lead gently uh, the way a shepherd would lead sheep. Um, number three, they are a plurality that operate on the basis of, un, of unanimity. Uh, we won't turn to those passages. All those passages emphasize uh, unity and things like that. But um, here's something interesting. If, if you do a word study of the word elder in the New Testament, it is always used in the plural, with the exception of two times when an individual is just referring to himself. So, so when the Apostle John says, "You know, I, as the elder, write to you, He's talking about himself. Obviously, he's not going to use the plural there. But every other time that it, it's used, it's used in the plural. Like uh, in, in our verse here, Philippians chapter 1, to the overseers at Philippi. There's not one guy, there's not one leader, one pastor who's running the show. There's a group of men. There's a plurality there. Um, and, and just to talk to me here about this. What do you think is part of God's wisdom in having a plurality of leadership rather than having the, the lone ranger pastor Uh, style of leadership?
1: Accountability.
0: What's that? Accountability. Accountability. Okay, sure. What else? There's no dictator. Okay. What
1: else?
0: Sharing of the work. Sharing of the work. Okay, very good. Yeah?
1: Well, different people have different situations, so Mm -hmm. they can help other people that might not understand what this person is going through, Okay. this elder could.
0: So, you're talking about maybe a diversity of experience amongst the board, and they can use that experience to help different people? Okay, very good. Okay, someone else? They shepherd, too. They shepherd, each, other. They shepherd each other. There's something you don't hear a whole lot about. Um, do you think just because a guy has the title pastor or elder means that he doesn't need shepherding in his own life? Huh. No, of course he does, right? Yeah, Rich. Well, you know,
1: even the Apostle Paul, when he talked about the board of the King's flesh, mm-hmm. he said it didn't. Right. Yeah, I think pride in yeah. Very easily
0: yeah. yeah. Have you ever have you ever been in a situation where you, there's a situation and, and and you're like I know exactly what to do, right? And you're just gun ho. You got this idea. You got the solution. And then you talk to somebody else and you go, "Huh, I never thought of that. That's a really good idea." You ever had that experience? Happens on the elder board all the time. Because sometimes what seems like the best solution to us, you talk to a couple other people, they have different experiences, they have different gifts, different ways of looking at it, they think of things that we don't, and you go, oh yeah, and and at that point, you have the benefit of having a group of guys rather than just one. And and I can't tell you how many times, at least on our elder board, that that saved us from not doing the best thing because of that plurality. Uh, Others? What's the wisdom of God in having a plurality rather than having a... Uh, just one pastor or one leader? I'm sorry, it does what?
1: Okay.
0: Furthers the training in the ministry? Okay, very good. very good. Continuity. That's right, yeah. So you've got, if, if something happens to one guy, you have others. You also have, we'll talk about this in a minute, but now you have a plurality... That body of men are the guys who are going to ordain other guys for leadership. So you don't have one guy picking all the leaders in the church. You have a group of men now um, who are bringing others on along the way. So yeah, there's lots of reasons for doing that. You know, a lot of a lot of churches have a. They set up their government to have sort of this balance of power. It's almost like, you know, our own our own government where you know the president has certain duties and the Congress has certain duties and. At the local level, we see that you know the, the the mayor has certain duties and the city council has certain duties and responsibilities. The idea is there's supposed to be this balance of power. Um, and, and the way the New Testament church sets up uh, the government is not by having you know the pastors against the deacons or the you know the governing board against the the staff guys. No, but, but the idea is to have a plurality of guys who all work together, um, and so there's a balance of power. Uh, in the sense of the board. Um, okay, so there's some things on the plurality there. Number four, they preach and teach. And uh, again, if you're in First Timothy, uh, these aren't. Uh, this isn't any surprise, but one of the qualifications for an elder, at the end of verse two, is he has to be able to teach. Or uh, Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Um, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. You know that verse. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Uh, and out of season. Uh, that's what uh, elders are called to do, uh, preaching and teaching. It's not all that they do, but it's a, it's a large part of what they do. They correct and refute those in error. Uh, I do want you to see this, because this is a kind of a unique qualification. Uh, flip over just a few pages to the right to Titus chapter 1. <clears throat> and Titus, you'll remember, gives his own... Or Paul gives a similar list to Titus about elders, about overseers, and um, he includes a couple of things that he only alludes to in First Timothy. And uh, this is one of the, the unique parts of this. Listen to what he says, Titus chapter one, uh, verse seven. It says, "For the overseer must be above reproach, as God's steward, not self-willed, not a, not a quick-tempered, or addicted to wine, nor pugnacious, nor fond of sordid gain." but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. Now, Now, here's the part I want you to hear. So that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Why is it important that the elders of a church be able to correct and refute those that are in error in their doctrine or their living? Why is that important? What's that? Okay, so they can see their faults so that they can do what? Yeah, they can help them change. Very good. Okay. What, what, what is the church... Well, I'll, I'll start the verse and you finish it. The church, which is the pillar and support of the... Oh, come on. Only one person knows that. The pillar and the support of the... Say it louder. The truth. Okay. If the church is called to uphold the truth, what is constantly going to be a threat in that church? What's all, what do they always have to be on guard against? False doctrine. False doctrine. That's right. So one of the roles of the leadership is, is they have to be able to say, "That's not right. You know, that teaching is wrong. Good effort, but it's wrong. We believe this, not this other thing." And as people come and go in throughout the church, as people teach. Um, there needs to be a discernment there to be able to see truth from error and not just a discernment. You know, there are lots of people that can say that's wrong and that's right. But if you sit down with a living human being and, and try to help them to see why it's wrong and lead them to the truth, that's a whole other skill, isn't it? So that's one of those things that the elders of the church need to be able to do both to guard the purity of the church. But you know, wrong doctrine always leads to what? Wrong doctrine always leads to what? Bad stuff. Bad stuff. (laughs) Well, that's true. Um, Bad doctrine always leads to trouble in living. Because if you're not setting your life on the truth of God's Word, you're setting it on error, error is going to lead you ultimately into sin in some way. So this isn't just a, a doctrinal role where we're guarding the purity of the church for the sake of the doctrine. No, no, because doctrine always spills over in how you live. And, and you say, well, I'm not sure I, I buy that. Read 1 Corinthians and read how some doctrinal errors led to all sorts of sinful li- living in their church. Okay? So they have to be able to uh, correct and refute those who are in error. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 2, they shepherd the church um, you don't need to turn there, but I'll just read it to you because it's, uh, it's really a key text. First uh, Peter chapter 5. Peter wraps up his letter here. He says, Therefore I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder. That's the one of the two places where it's used in singular form where Peter calls himself an elder. And witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Elders, what are you supposed to do? Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. "...not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example of the flock." Do you hear that? He's saying, don't be a dictator. He says, be a shepherd. Uh, be an example to the flock. And and then verse 4, "...when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." So they're called to shepherd the church, to exercise that oversight to feed, to nourish. Um, I will have you turn here, because this is interesting. Look back to Acts chapter 15. This is the first time in Scripture where we see uh, the elders sort of assuming some role and oversight over the church, and we see them uh, assisting with church policy. And uh, there's a whole context here. Basically, what's going on is the church is gathering... And they're trying to figure out, do Gentiles who become Christians need to be circumcised? That, that's the big doctrinal issue of the day in the first century church. And you're thinking, what? That was a big deal in the first century. And so the church gathers uh, what is considered to be one of the first church councils at Jerusalem. And they gather to discuss that matter as along with some other uh, church-related Matters they, they discuss they go back and forth Paul and Barnabas testify and at the end of that time verse twenty two says then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas so uh, Judas called Bar- uh, ba- I'm sorry called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brethren and they sent this letter by them and then it, it talks about the letter that they were going to send to the churches which would basically communicate to them the decision that the Council of Jerusalem had concluded. But we see there that apostles and elders are working together. And then it says they're with the whole church. So it's not like the apostles and elders ran away with the leadership and they left the church behind. No, no, no. They shepherded and led and encouraged the people so that all the people said, yeah, that's right, We, we want to go along with that. And uh, so we see them making decisions regarding church policy here. You notice too the apostles are involved because uh, did I tell you this when we introduce Philippians, the first part of Acts, who, who's basically in charge of the church in the first part of Acts, the first part of the book. The apostles are. Okay. By the end of the church, by, by the end of the, the book of Acts, who's sort of giving oversight over the churches? The elders are. Yeah, if you ever noticed that? Next time, um, those of you doing the New Testament reading plan, as you read through Acts this year, um, just make a note of that. Notice how the first half of the book, it's mainly about the apostles. It's, it's Peter and John and those guys, and they're out there, and they're ministering the church. But over time, as churches are established, then you see letters like this where, where Paul tells Timothy, you know, you need to appoint some elders in the church. You need to get some leadership going there. So that by the end of the book of Acts, as you read about churches... Um, they're not talking about the apostles running those churches. They're talking about groups of elders. And there's that transition between an apostle-led church and an elder-led church. And, of course, that continues on uh, to this day. Did you notice that before? Anybody not- notice that? Okay. Uh, they ordain others. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.4 4 and other passages. Actually, I think I think that was a typo as I was looking over my notes this morning. Um, but you'll see a number of places where, um, like, for example, in 1 Timothy where... Paul tells Timothy, don't lay hands on anybody too quickly. Um, That's a reference to the ordaining of other leaders for service. So the, the current leadership has the responsibility of ordaining others for leadership. And then they devote themselves primarily to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. We're going to come back and look at this text in detail when we talk about deacons in a minute. So we'll skip that for now. But they devote themselves primarily to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Finally, they equip believers for ministry to one another in the church. Uh, You guys know Ephesians 4.11. He gave some as prophets, some as apostles, uh, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's the main role that leaders have. Leaders don't do all the work. The leaders equip the believers, and together we all engage in the work of ministry. Okay, questions on roles, uh, on the duties and responsibilities here of the elders? Okay. Well, this is a a text that I was just going to wave at last time, and you guys had some good questions. So let's turn to it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, and let's talk about why we have staff and non-staff elders. Or you might say it this way, why uh, why are some of the elders uh, compensated financially, and basically their vocation is eldering, and why are other elders bivocational and typically not compensated financially by the church? Why is that? You know, is that just the way we do things? Well, believe it or not, there's there's biblical precedent for that. There's a biblical reason why uh, we've set up our church like uh, in that way, and a lot of churches have done that. Look at First Corinthians chapter nine, and um, we're going to have to just kind of parachute into the book here. I don't have time to develop the context, but uh, suffice it to say at this point that Paul is. One of the problems in Corinth was that some, some false teachers came in and they were accusing Paul of being a false apostle. They were basically calling his credentials into question, and they were saying, We don't we don't think you're the real deal, and they were trying to steer the Corinthian church away from Paul's leadership. Okay, so that's what's going on as we read this text. Okay? So he's sort of defending his apostleship here in this section. First Corinthians chapter nine. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? I remember, seeing the risen Lord was one of the qualifications for being an apostle. So that's why he says that here. Are you not my work in the Lord? He says, did I not minister to you? And you guys have gained fruit from that. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take a believing wife? even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter. Just a footnote, um, that's a verse that that, uh, at least the Roman Catholic Church struggles with because in their view, guys that function as pastors or they would call them priests or elders shouldn't get married, right? They have that vow of celibacy. but, But here we hear Paul saying, as an apostle, as an elder, as a pastor, we have the right to get married. That was one of the verses that Martin Luther looked to. Um, in the Reformation time, and first thing he went out did is uh, renounce his monk vows and went out and married a nun. So there you go. <laughs>
1: That's
0: true. Katie, Catherine von, what's her last name? Mora. Von Mora. Very good. Okay, so we have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas. Or do not only Barnabas and I have a right to refrain from working? Okay, now he's going to he's going to turn and talk about uh, 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 like a day job vocational work here okay verse 7 who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense H- how many you have served in armed services raise your hand served in the armed services in some way okay um, did you have a day job while you did that if you were active duty so how did you make your living that's called the armed service, yeah, it's the armed service. Yeah. did you have an additional job No, the the, the government pays you to do that, right? And that's what Paul is saying. He says, what soldier serves at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Verse 8, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Meaning, you know, he's not really talking about oxen there. He's talking about leadership in the church. Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes. For our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, now watch this, we did not use this right but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Okay? We can well we can keep reading but stop right there. Here's what he's saying. He's saying just like the soldier who's compensated by the government for his service, just like the farmer who basically sustains his own family life by the fruit of his crops, he says so the worker in the church should be sustained by and supported by the local church. But then Paul says, if we look back at the verse uh, in verse 12 there, he said, But I've chosen to not utilize this right. Do you see that there? And if you read on, what he basically says is he and Silas decided, um, for reasons of wisdom, to stay bivocational. So they continued to have other roles, other jobs, and that was their means of sustenance. That's how they paid their bills. And then they also shared in the role of. Uh, of eldering and pastoring in the local churches so, so from that and we can look at other texts but, but from that we understand that first of all guys that are going to serve as elders in the church have the privilege and we might even say right to be compensated by the church if those elders desire to use that privilege and the way that that sort of gets fleshed out um, in our culture is typically you have staff elders which are compensated by the church and that, that's, that's all they do and then you have non-staff elders who have a day job of some sort, and then they function as elders, but they're not paid staff of the local church. Okay, So here's some footnotes here. Scripture teaches that those who function as elders in the church in a vocational manner can be financially supported by the church. Other times, the Bible teaches that elders may choose to be bivocational and thus are not compensated by the church. And that's what we see here in the case of Paul and Silas. Um Third, in our day, usually compensated elders are called pastors, while those not compensated are called elders. Has that been your experience in other churches too? Okay. What do you think about that? Why do we call the paid guys pastors, but we call the non paid guys elders or <coughs> overseers or deacons? or why, why do we do that? Well, there's a little
1: difference. Isn't, isn't it because usually the elders have another job? Okay. Okay,
0: so, so maybe it's emphasizing that, that that's their sole role. Okay, that's good. Okay. Do, do you think, and, and my notes give my, my opinion away here, do you think that at least is potentially misleading? Do, do you guys think, let ask you, do you think of Greg and Russell, who are non-staff elders in our church, do you think of them as shepherds just as much as you think of Terry and I as shepherds? Yes. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because in a lot of churches that's not the case. I want my pastor. I'm going to go talk to my pastor. And that's okay. But, but the language is important here because we don't want to, we don't want to emphasize or, or, or unintentionally emphasize but by calling them elders and calling another guys as they have pastor in front of their name that those elders do not have the shepherding role either. Because the reality is in terms of qualifications, in terms of duties, in terms of responsibilities, pastors and elders are the same. The only difference is whether they're compensated or not, and then to some extent, you know, the amount of time that they use in that. The, the non staff guys, they're dividing their time between a vocational role and that role in the church. Yes, Rich? I think part
1: of the reason that, you know, generally speaking, we, we designate pastors mm-hmm. and elders is, um, again, because uh, in a couple of different segments it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Right. And it's saying some are called to be pastors. Pastors and teachers, yeah. Some are called to do this, this Right. First. So sometimes yeah. we just look at elders as, well, they may not necessarily be pastors and teachers in our mind. Right. the same Right. But they may serve. Like, they may have a gift to serve. That's right. For, for I yeah. think that's
0: part of it. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, so the question is, in, first, in Ephesians 4 there where it talks about the pastor-teacher role, is that talking about elders too? On the basis of what you've learned, uh, do elders fit into that category? Exactly. An elder is required. That's one of the, the qualifications. Yeah. So do you think when Ephesians 4 says pastor, teacher, and it, it's two terms, but it's signifying one office, do you think we could rightly say that's the elders based upon everything we've learned in our little mini-series here? Yeah. Okay. Now, again, I'm not saying you know we start calling Greg... Pastor, and we 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 ditch the. Pa- I'm not saying we have to change the terminology. I'm just saying we need to be careful that whatever terminology we use, we understand that it's the whole group of elders that are called to pastor and oversee and train. So, okay. Another question: uh, What are the qualifications for elder? Jack just mentioned one of them, but let's just look back at those. Uh, real quick. Any questions on staff versus non-staff? You okay on that? I thought that was kind of important to, to talk about because I think that's. One of those things that we don't often uh, explain, and um, we need to be explaining that. So,
1: you, you may not say this, but if you go back to the four reference and it talks about uh, early on. It talks about how Christ is giving gifts to the church, right? And one of those gifts are the pastors, and right? Elders. When you read that in right. context, yeah. So that when when we look at our elder board. It's you have to you have to look at them as something that has been given to us hmm. from the Lord for our benefit.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's, and in fact, that little section of Ephesians four—the context—he is talking about spiritual gifts. So he's—you know—when he says pastors, elders, or pastor teachers, uh, evangelists, prophets, apostles, um, those are gifts, spiritual gifts, but they're also offices of leadership too. So, but I appreciate you you bringing up that aspect of it. Uh, what are the qualifications of elder, and uh, we can just uh, run through these here. But um, you see them there in First Timothy three. We we just read them a minute ago. Um, just kind of follow along as I read. He's to be above reproach, and that means exactly what it sounds like that, there, that he's irreproachable. There's not areas of his life that are questionable. Uh, he is. Um, this is First Timothy chapter three, verse two. Uh, he's the husband of one wife, literally a one-woman man in his marriage. He's temperate, which means uh, he is restrained in his conduct. He shows self-control, and that's often used in the context of uh, talking about alcohol. In other words, he's not a drunkard. He's not out there uh, abusing uh, alcohol or other things. Uh, he's prudent, it means he shows self-control, moderation. He's sober in his thinking. Respectable. He has uh, qualities that evoke admiration. He's a person that you can honor. Um, He's hospitable. He shows hospitality. He's able to teach. And it's interesting. Able to teach is the only qualification here that is not a character issue. And and that's why I think what Jack said is true. Um, The qualifications for elder are mostly character issues, but they have to be gifted to teach because all elders teach. And that's one of the reasons... um, Yep. There are some pastors, and I, I hear about them, who are very selfish with the pulpit. Um, Terry's not like that at all. Terry's always sharing the pulpit because he understands there are other men that are called to preach and teach. And that's why a, any man in our church that is qualified to be an elder, and maybe they, they functioned as an elder in the past in our church, um, oftentimes will preach. You know, Greg preaches, I preach, uh, David Gibson preaches, um, because we, we see that that's, that's something, uh, one of the main skills, one of the main qualifications there for the elder. Um, but that is a skill. You, you have to have that, that skill, that spiritual gift, um, in order to qualify there. Um, let's see, what else? He's not a drunkard. Uh, he's not pugnacious. That means he's not a bully. He's not contentious. Uh, he's gentle. It means kind or cur- courteous or tolerant. He's peaceable. Uh, Another word for uncontentious. He's free from the love of money. Uh, We talked about it already. He's a good manager of his household because that management um, that he uses in his home is some of the same management he'll use in the shepherding of the flock. And by the way, just, just a footnote, that shows you where a pastor or elder's responsibility should be because a lot of guys will sacrifice their family on the altar of ministry. And that's just... That's just a shame, and it happens, it seems like, every week. And yet what this is saying is an elder's home life is what qualifies him to be an elder in the church. So the home life must be a priority over the responsibility of the church eldership. And, and there are guys who, who I heard about one oh, a month ago guy is on his way. He's going to go in the ministry, right? He's going to be a pastor. He's going to be an elder. He's going to do all these things. And his marriage is a mess. It's like, eh, pull the car over. Your, your, your priorities are backward there because it's, it's that home life that's one of the qualifications for being an elder. Yes, sir? How about a divorce? That's a great question. The, the, way, the way we interpret one woman man would mean a divorce would disqualify him from that office. Um. There are other guys that are going to see that a little bit different, but um, that's that's the usual way that that phrase is understood. Okay? Yes?
1: Why is mentioned here by having
0: been in the Well, it's, it's kind of uh, built up into his... Um, when it talks about a couple of things, obviously able to teach, it's talking about the scripture there. It's not talking about you know, mathematics or physics or English. Um, the second thing, we saw it in Titus, where he talked about he's able to you know, refute in sound doctrine, he's able to correct those. So it, it's all over the place. Um, he doesn't give one specific, You know, he has to be sound in the scriptures. Um, we do see that in 1 Timothy 4, where Paul tells him, watch over your life and your doctrine. So that would be a direct reference in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse uh, 16 uh, where he talks about that there. Good question. Okay, He's a good manager of his household. He's not a a new convert, not a new believer because new believers put in leadership roles often fall into pride and conceit. So he says don't put a new believer in there. And he has to have a good reputation outside of the church. Uh, That's an interesting qualification. Um, Because usually we say we don't care what the world thinks. We're just going to do our thing. And yet, one of the qualifications is that um, leaders in the church would have a good reputation in the community, particularly amongst unbelievers. Okay. So those are the qualifications there uh, for elder. And then, what's the relationship between the elders and the congregation? Uh, we read it in, in Acts, and we can look at look uh, these up in in the other verses. Um, actually, we will go ahead and look up Hebrews chapter 13. We may not get to the deacons today. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, kind of as the writer is, is wrapping up his, his letter here to the, uh, uh, to the Hebrew Christians here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, kind of shows the relationship between uh, the leadership and the believers in a local church and kind of looks at it from both angles. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, so there it is. It's like in, in, in Acts 15, uh, the apostles and elders came to a decision. They communicated that. They shepherded the people in that decision. And then you see them together moving ahead in that decision. Okay, So the leadership isn't running ahead of the congregation. They're not leaving them behind. They're not saying, you just need to do what we tell you to do. Now they're leading them. They're training them. They're guiding them. And then together they're moving ahead. And that's what we see here. Those leaders keep watch over the souls, and so we're called to submit to and obey the leadership. Now, looking at it from the leadership side, those leaders keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. What does that mean? What's that? Isn't that a heavy verse? Um, you know, James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, because you're going to undergo a stricter judgment. Wow, and this is saying that there is some sort of giving of an account, you know, by implication to God for the well-being of every soul in the congregation. Wow, um, th- this is this is why the entertainment style pastor breaks my heart because. Leadership is about caring of the souls of the people in the congregation knowing that they will stand before God someday and give an account for the care of every single person in the church. I don't know about you, that scares the fire out of me. And I think that's part of, that's part of what keeps the leadership of a local church Humble. Because if they really understand what God is calling them to do, and if they really understand what that title "elder" means, um, you know, some of you guys have held uh, different roles of, of huge responsibilities. Some of you are, are the uh, uh, captain in charge of an airplane, and you're responsible for every person on that flight. Some of you have been in military service, and you're you're involved in in keeping. Uh, you know, whoever the group of soldiers are with you, protect them. Some of you have been in, in leadership positions, in, in employers, and you're responsible for the safety of those employees. And, and what the Bible says is elders are responsible for the souls of people in their church. That's huge. But I think it keeps us humble and it keeps us dependent on the God. It, it keeps us dependent on the chief shepherd. Now look at this. It says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Okay. Um, Meaning, and I, and I think the them is referring to the elders, not not to the people. Meaning, let the elders lead and, and care for and keep watch over the souls of people with joy and not with grief, um, so that we can we can assist in the best way there. Yes.
1: know that you know the right the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. And you're positive, you got all the all the feedback and the best possible way to do things. And it's just not being I'm all I'm not gonna say reciprocated, but um, you're absolutely positive, you've been in prayer about it that it's just the right way do things and it's just i being followed I guess I mean, I'm trying not to sound like
0: it so are you saying like a, a situation where you would disagree with the leadership of the church and no, is that what you're saying no, yeah. no.
1: I'm, I'm just saying you know in life in general mm-hmm. I mean because you know we're called to be leaders of a household right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. and in a way this is, we're kind of the elder you know in our household right, right. We're, we know, you know, for a fact, like, this is the right way to do things, yeah. you know, and that just continuously, you know, shoved shoving aside, yeah. you know, and we're just forced to see it happen right. time and time and time again. When you draw a line to where, you know, it's like, you got to put your foot down and say, hey, this is the right way to do things, you know, I mean, it's kind of a fine line I Yeah.
0: It is a fine line. And, and,
1: um, when to act and not.
0: Yeah. You know, um, you can't make someone follow you. You guys discovered that? In marriage, in parenting, in vocational ministry, in a church, in a job, you can't make somebody follow you. Um, what does the leader do <coughs> when he knows what is right and the people around him don't want to follow him? Oh, I I'm, to say just by example yeah, you and know, that's, and and I, if that's so what you're awesome. asking, um, that's a great question, and, and I think that um, I whether might, it's in I the family. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and maybe we can chat about the specifics of it sometime. I think that might be able to help you. But in general, you know, you you, you can't make somebody follow you. Um, leadership is about being this type of person so that people will want to follow. Um, They'll see your example. They'll see, at least in the context of the church, they see the character of the men. They see their love for the body as shepherds. They see their diligence in the study of the Scripture. And they say, I want to follow leadership like that. That's how it's supposed to be. And at the same time, it, it is it is unwise for any leader to say you have to submit to what I'm saying in in that realm because you you can't make them do that. Now there there may be a time when, you know, the elders of a church have to say you know what, you know, if you do this, there are going to be this con- these consequences. But uh, in general, that doesn't go very well. Yeah. Back. Oh, yeah.
1: And so, the flock, even though they are to obey them, to submit them, right. what is the context in which you deal with that if you, if you have a troubling thing that's a different flock? Mm-hmm. Should you just resolve that through prayer?
0: You mean like if, if you think the pastors or elders have made a wrong decision and yeah, you want to... You know, yeah, you uh, Sure. You should
1: stick to only strawberry too I'd like to challenge you yeah. that, but I don't yeah. want to appear to be um, disobedient
0: yeah. the, the scripture describes an appeal process for people who are under various forms of leadership and I think like anything else you know, an appeal would be in order there you know, on the other hand part of what I see in the qualifications is that the leadership should be men that are approachable that listen, and certainly don't want to move ahead in a direction when they got a bunch of people saying we think you're making a bad call, pastor. So, so I hope that the character of the man means that most of the time that's going to be unnecessary, because they're they're wanting those things to happen. And, and on the flip side, I, I hope that the congregation would would look at the elders and say these are humble men, they're teachable men, they'll listen to me, they care about me. If I have a concern, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to know that they're, they're going to take to heart what I say. You know, I think that's the best solution. And and apart from that, I think some sort of formal appeal, like you would in a marriage, like you would in a home, like you would in a job. Good questions. All right, well, we will leave our deacons till next time. So, um, good questions, good discussion. Uh, let's uh, pray and we'll pick it up next week.